Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Probably a lot, we have a lot of new people here at Creekside, so by way of introduction, I want to make a couple of statements that are probably more disclaimer. They're definitely not an apology as I prepare to talk to you today about giving and giving specifically toward our harvest offering. Because it's such a a foundational part of our church, I, I wanna make sure that as new people come in that we really do give an understanding as to why we do it. And um, and the reason I do it this way, I'm not apologizing, but I am making a disclaimer because one of the things that I've done, and this is for 23 years, I see so much financial abuse with other churches. You see it on TV, you read about it in the papers, about how they abuse finances. And, and it's a lot of chicanery and shenanigans and, and, and a bunch of stuff. And, and I've always said, I've always prayed, I've always asked God, never, and, and, I, and this is gonna sound judgmental, but I guess it is, but I said, I just never wanna get lumped in with those people. And, and, and so far, after 24 years, if you've been here for any amount of time, you know that that's not how we operate. We're pretty straight. We're pretty clean in everything that we do. We're not pretty. We're clean in everything that we do and how we, how we deal with money. We're open. You can see the finances at any point. We just had our annual business meeting two weeks ago. And if you're a guest today or maybe you've only been here uh, a few weeks or whatever and you're kicking the tires, great. What you need to know is we don't receive we never take an offering, we, don't re- we receive offerings. God doesn't take anything from us, he's a giver. This church is not a taker, it is a receiver and a giver. And so we, we don't receive special offerings except for this one in two weeks, the Sunday before harvest, Thanksgiving, so we call it our harvest offering. That's why when, if you've been here, you probably, if you really think about it, you go, well, that's interesting. I've never heard anything about money or offerings. As a matter of fact, they don't pass a plate. They don't have a bag on a broomstick. They don't, you know, we don't do any of that. <laughs> and, and, and can I tell you why? Because people here give. But it's important that I teach you, and especially if you're newer. Because you may just think, oh, you know, it's like, you know, God just kind of gives this little basket of money from heaven. No, he doesn't. It's because people here give. When they're taught, they learn and they grow and they give. So usually I don't talk about money, except in a series that I do more often because I usually have only done that every two or three years, which is really stupid of me because what I'm doing is robbing you of a blessing. And I'll share a couple of stories uh, as I go through today when I get to that point of just people who have been blessed because they've learned to give. So those are really my disclaimers. No apology, because I want you to be blessed. When I say blessed, I don't necessarily mean having bigger cars or more cars or bigger houses, but there's a sense of where you, that when you are able to release, God blesses you, and we'll be talking about that. So um, uh, let's get right to the scriptures, and I'm gonna read a couple of passages where Paul is writing to the churches, and he's saying, I want you to the church at Corinth to give. Uh, verse uh, chapter eight, verse one, he says this. Now we want you to know, brothers, about the, see, Paul, he likes the brothers too. I just realized that. And um, so I'm really, I'm really biblical here. And 
We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that is granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I love that. Even though they were going through it in the midst of their poverty, in the midst of their blessing that still overflowed to great generosity, I testify on their own according to their ability and beyond their ability. They begged us insistently. Can you believe this? A church. They begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete this grace to you. Now notice what he says here. This is, I love this. This is a great passage. Now, now, as you excel in everything, you churches in Macedonia, you got great faith, you speak well, you have great speech uh, in your knowledge, in all of your diligence, and in your love for us, you are good. But we want you to excel also in this grace. What's this grace? Well, what's right before it? He's talking about giving to the church at Jerusalem. Now notice what Paul says. He's, I, I kind of like this too. He says, now listen, I'm not saying this as a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. Now see, we don't like that when pastors talk about that. That really giving is an expression of your love. Think about your kids, your family, your spouse, your people around you. You can't say you love them if you don't give. but I'm testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, he was in heaven. For our sake, for your sake, for my sake, he became poor so that his poverty might make you, allow you to become rich. If you would go over to chapter nine. Now concerning the ministry to the saints, if necessary, it is unnecessary for me to write to you, for I know, listen, the, the, the verbiage is beautiful. This church, I mean, it's, he says, I know your eagerness. I brag about you to the Macedonians, and I'll just tell you, I brag about you too. People cannot believe what Creekside generally does financially. How do you do that? I don't. They do it. There's a spirit about Creekside. There's a heart about Creekside. And I brag about you to the Macedonians. Achaia has been prepared since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. Isn't that cool to be a church that stirs up the zeal of other churches? But I sent the brothers to, uh, so that our boasting about you in the matter would not prove empty. And so you would be prepared just as I said. Paul's using a little psychology here. Uh, I've been bragging about you, so make sure you don't let me down. Be prepared with your giving. For if, the, uh, for if any Macedonian should come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, would be embarrassed in that situation. Therefore, I considered it necessary to urge your brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the generous gift you have promised so that it will be ready as a gift and not an extortion. Remember, the 
person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not out of regret or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. One of our goals here at Creekside, one of my goals, loved ones, for our church is if you're a Christ follower, a member of Creekside, or simply a partner of Creekside, is that you excel in all of the graces that Jesus has for you, that you grow in him, become a great disciple, become a great follower, you reach out to people. But I also want you to grow in the grace of growing generosity. Because it really is for your benefit. What I've learned about so many Creeksiders over my 23 years here, most of you are very teachable. Most of you want to follow Jesus and you want a desire in your heart to grow in this generosity. I am a sucker for all holiday things, you know. Uh, For uh, October, it's usually candy corn. I still have about seven pounds left and and I'm trying to lose 20, so I don't know how that's gonna work out. But I I love candy corn and then I get to, you know, toward Thanksgiving, I love everything pumpkin. And then at Christmas time, I love everything Christmas, I love trees, I love the lights, I love the food, I love the peppermint, and I love the the movies. My favorite's Christmas Carol. I love that old Scrooge. I love the transformation that takes place. But this is what I know. Nobody wants to be a Scrooge, do they? See, the word miser, he was miserly. The word miser literally comes from the same root as miserable. Don't we admire generous people? As one of my heroes once said, John Wooden said this, a life not lived for others is not a life at all. But it's so difficult, isn't it, for us to give consistently, regularly, because we do have needs. And that giving, that money, that that resource, it represents so much of our time and our energy and our efforts. So while we we want to be generous, we also have this internal battle toward generosity or keeping to ourselves or selfishness. King Solomon wrote a great deal about generosity in the book of Proverbs. We're gonna look at some of those today. Proverbs 11.25 says this, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. See, God wants his people, you and me, to be generous. And he says, you'll be taken care of when you do. You'll be rewarded. And listen, I'm not into some kind of quid pro quo thing where there's a guarantee that if you give $100, God's gonna give you back 1000 I don't teach that. I do know this. Some people have experienced that, but I also know that when we give, when we're generous, there's a generosity of life, an enlargement of heart and life that begins to take place that envelops us. So I want to look at some reasons for giving. The first reason is simply to obey Christ's commands. Jesus said this, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Well, what does Paul say? If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, again, he's writing to the church at Corinth. And he says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. That's what we do. That's kind of the, the theme and the philosophy of how we do this harvest offering. We let you know. You know every year it's coming. And so we encourage you just to be thinking about it, praying about it, planning and preparing for it. Because he's talking here about a special offering, not just your regular giving. 
So this passage is specifically talking about a special offering that was going to be received for a Jerusalem church that was feeling the effects of a famine at this time. And Paul teaches, he says, listen, I want you to give regularly and I want you to give proportionally. I want you to plan ahead for this. See, giving really shouldn't just be this kind of occasional response. Ah, what do I got in my pocket this Sunday? I'm going to throw it in the basket. It really is something that, that we, we, we think about, we prepare for, and we plan for, and then we say, this is, Lord, what I believe you speaking to me about giving. Because we don't only give just out of command and obedience, but we give it as an act of worship. It's an expression of our whole worship. Psalm 96, 8 and 9 says this. <coughs> Excuse me. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Come before him, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And you'll often see that worship, that worship is intertwined and connected to, to, to giving throughout the scriptures. See, most of us think of, of worship as simply we come on Sunday morning and, oh, boy, we're a great worshiper. If we sing a song, we clap our hands, we pray, we receive communion, we listen to a sermon. But when you give money, it's a very tangible expression of really your worship. During our men's Bible study uh, uh, last week, a week ago Friday, uh, the men of the Bible that we do on Friday morning, uh, one of the stories we, we looked at uh, was um, Abraham and Isaac. Genesis chapter 22, many of us might be familiar with the story. Remember what God says. He says, I want you to take your son, your only son. That thing that is the closest thing to you probably was bordering on idolatry for Abraham because he was a son of promise. He'd waited years for it. God miraculously provided for him. And what does God say to him? He says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac. I want you to take him up to Mount Moriah. And I want you to sacrifice him. And we find out that God was just simply testing his heart to see what was really more important, what God had promised and said he would do, or that Abraham was more concerned about his stuff and his thing and his priorities and maybe an idol of his life, his son. And it's a powerful statement. I believe it's around verse 6 or 7 of chapter 22 of Genesis. What, is, what does Abraham do? He takes his son, his only son Isaac, and he tells the guys that are with him, he says, listen, we're going to go worship. First place, first time that worship is really discussed in the Bible. Isn't it interesting? He's not going up there to sing a song. He's not going up there to kumbaya. He's not going up there to pray. He's going up there to do one thing, to give a sacrifice. And if we know the story, remember that God ultimately provides a ram that he could sacrifice and later says, I just, I wanted to test your heart, Abraham. I want to know if you really trusted me. And to some degree, isn't there some of that that takes place in our lives today when it comes to times like this? See, when you pledge allegiance to Jesus, it really is all in, everything. Well, okay, so what, what do you mean then by proportionate? If it's about worship, well, what about this proportionate thing? How much does God consider generous? Well, I don't know for you. I mean, let's just say tomorrow you've got this really special occasion. You want to take eight of your best friends out to eat at your favorite restaurant. And you, you eat there fairly regularly, so you got your favorite waiter. And so 
you go there and you see, because, hey, I got my party coming at seven o'clock. I want my favorite Raider, Bob. Could you have Bob come and wait on us? And they say, sure, Bob's working. And so you're really excited about that because you know who do you well. So you go there and you got your eight friends. You're celebrating and Bob comes, knocks it out of the park. Man, everything you need, anything you want, he is there, Johnny, on the spot. But you know in the little, uh, usually on the menu, what does it say? There will be a 15% automatic gratuity added to your bill with parties of eight or more. So you have this great evening and Bob does everything you could ever want and all of a sudden the bill comes and you see that, wow, that 15% gratuity hasn't been added. Why do you think that? Because see, Bob, you have a relationship with Bob and Bob knows he's got a relationship with you. And what's Bob thinking? Bob's thinking 20%, yeah. Bob's thinking if I treat these people well because they like me, they respect my work, they're gonna give me probably more than the requirement. And I think sometimes, isn't that the way it works with Jesus when we really, when we really bottom line it? He's done so much for us. He's blessed us with so much. And sometimes we just want to skate by with the bare minimum. But when we begin to look at, count up the blessings of Jesus in our lives, in our family and around us, you know what? There's not a requirement. Now there's probably a baseline, but that's, but it's not so much a requirement, but we give him for who he is and what he's done. See, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, we read it, each man should give what is decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, how many of us want to, you know, have a birthday? And uh, I got a couple people here in church. I got to send them a birthday. I told them this morning. And it's not because I have to. It's because I want to. I want them to know I, I value them. Because you imagine if I said to them, hey, Pete, I know you had a birthday last week for crying out loud. Here's your card. Hope you enjoy it. Didn't have time to write anything in it. Just enjoy it. You know what he'd probably say? You know, PT, I really don't need that card. It really doesn't mean that much to you. Therefore, it really means very little to me. And see, that's how God is. He doesn't want you to come to church. Well, okay. Here we go. God's picking my pocket again this Sunday. Let me see. I got a couple of 20s here. One. Yeah, let's give them to one. I don't know. I'll go, I'll go big. I'm going to go 10. There we go. God's always picking my pocket for something. <laughs> Do you think that blesses God's heart? No. See, Jesus, when it comes to everything, bottom line, he wants your heart. Because he knows once you get his heart, once he gets your heart, he's not going to have to worry about your billfold because you will recognize the grace and the glory that he's brought you. See, giving also and generosity helps us to avoid greed, doesn't it? Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 12 about this guy who, who he's built these big barns. And one day he's sitting there going, I gotta build more. They're full. I gotta keep building more. And so he says, what am I gonna do? Where am I gonna put all my stuff? And Jesus in this parable says in verse 15 of chapter 12 of Luke, beware of greed because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Because in the parable, Jesus says, boom, he was taken, his life was taken that night. 
See, it's so easy, isn't it, to get caught up in materialistic mindset of this world. If you just go with the flow, if you live and, and listen too much to those people around you, you know what your self-worth will soon get attached to? The size of house you have, how nice your house is, what kind of clothes you wear, how, much, how many assets you have, what kind of toys you have to play with and to show off. And when everybody comes back on Monday and says this is what they did on the weekend, boy, you've got to have something kind of out there to show for it. But see, when we give generously, regularly, it's a tangible reminder that our our life isn't measured by things. In that same passage of Luke 12, Jesus told the rich fool who is clutching his possessions tonight, you're going to die. Then whose things will these be? Are, Are there things, loved ones, right now that you're embracing, that you're holding on to things that ultimately will just pass away, but you think somehow they're, they're eternal. See, giving, giving keeps us focused off the materialism of this world, and it refocuses us on spiritual things for eternity. 1 John 2.15 says this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 17 then says, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Used to be in the olden, olden, olden days, I don't know how many years ago, but when, when, uh, where they had monkeys and they had to capture them, either South America, Africa, one of the ways that they would learn to capture them quickly is they'd get a jar and they would stick something of sweet fruit or some, something that was edible or something attractive to a monkey. What he would do, he'd come down and he'd go over to that jar and he'd stick his hand in and he'd grab it and his hand would be full. And guess what? He couldn't get out of the jar. Well, what happened next? Because he couldn't get his hand out of the jar, it was really hard for him to scale the trees very, you know, he couldn't go up into the trees and scale them because he only had one hand. So what they'd do is come and conk them over the head and kill them. How many people do we know? to get caught up in the materialism and the things of this world and the enemy of our soul just kind of begins to conk us over the head. We begin, it's so easy, loved ones, to become ensnared by materialism. But when you give generously, you're reminding yourself. You're reminding your family and your kids that our meaning isn't in these things. Our ultimate purpose and hope isn't found in the things of this world. There's something more important So a lot of times, some of us need to give just to take care of that potential for greed in our heart, in our soul. Another reason to give generously is simply to advance the kingdom of God. And that's why we, that's especially why we do this harvest offering, because as you know, if you've been around, really none of it stays in-house, except for once, one time we had to do some major church stuff, and we said this year we're going to keep half of it in-house, but we still gave half of it out. But this money goes out. One of our church's values and axioms is simply this. If you want to be blessed, be blessable. Say that with me. If you want to be blessed, be blessable. And isn't that true? Don't you really tell your kids that? You may not use that verbiage, but you say to your kids, you want to be, listen, you want good to come, be good. And again, this isn't quid pro quo with God, but there are things, there are emotions that are set in place. There are scriptures and Bible and and life laws that God has established that if you want to be blessed, be a blessing, be blessable. Since we started living this out a number of years ago, loved ones, we have seen our church on a trajectory like this. 
because we don't focus on money, but because we are faithful to do what God says and we give, 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 give. This has been the trajectory of our church. There was a time when we couldn't do anything here. There was a time I went back to work for a year. It's interesting because that was one of the greatest periods that our church grew. So, and, um, and also when the finances grew, but there's some reasons for that. But see, when we started doing things and we said, you know what? We're not here just to get into co. Let's try and pay our bills. We're going to give. And this has really been burned into my soul. It's an egregious, I'm so disappointed. I'm working with churches. That, I worked with one church and, and, and for the last year, they stayed open and all of them, 80% of the money that they received went to their pastor. And in one month, 90% of the income went to their pastor just to keep him going. And now, you're gonna say, well, I, and there are times when a church is starting out that that has to happen. I understand that. But this has been going on for over two decades. And I don't think any church should stay open just so a guy can have a job. There has to be mission. There has to be a focus on reaching people and the world for Jesus. And it's been our joy over the years to see our grow, church grow in generosity. The fact that our finances have grown to where they are today basically demonstrates there are hundreds of forgiven, grateful, God-loving people here who say, Jesus I want to be a giver and I want to see your work manifest and happen throughout this world. And so we have hundreds of you that are joining your resources so that the message can be proclaimed in many ways. When you give, you are helping to share those personal convictions that people are lost and dying and going to hell. And see, a lot of times, even with our harvest offering, we give because we can't go. But we can always do something to help get the message out there, can't we? Most of you didn't attend our <clears throat> annual business meeting, although you were invited, and that's fine, but most of you don't know what we do. Because I can't take it every Sunday and give you an update. Let me just tell you what we did. We gave close to $120,000 away last year. Here's some of the things for the world. We give to uh, missionaries, Nelson and Tirsi Gaitan, who are in San Marcos, Nicaragua. They're kindred spirits with us. We've planted two churches. They've been there like for 10 years now, and they've planted two churches in Nicaragua. And they've got plans to plan more. We give to Puente de Amistad, our Tijuana, Mexico mission base. Uh, we give to Mike and Kathy Brandt, who are the overseers there. Um, we give to Bob and Nancy Scott, who uh, are missionaries, and uh, uh, they work with missionaries in the Middle East. We give to itinerating open Bible missionaries each year. Uh, last February, we had Tom and, uh, uh, Tom and Sherry Moore here. We gave to them a significant amount. Uh, just recently, the Gaitans were here from Nicaragua. I couldn't get them here on a Sunday morning because some other churches had grabbed them up while I was gone out of town. And... Um, but I met with them and just heard more of their story, and we just significantly blessed them beyond what we give them every month. Nationally, we support New Hope Christian College. We uh, support Royal Kids Family Camp, which is a camp where abused children go and just get ministered to and loved on. Uh, we've helped a number of other churches. 
Um, INSTAY is an uh, institute of technology by extension. It's a way that national, or excuse me, uh, churches around the world have um, trained their local pastors so they can nationalize so the missionaries can leave. We support that. We help that. We blow wind and finances and resources into that. Locally, we give to Generations Church in Pleasant, Hill, in Pleasant Hill and Citizens Church in Oakland. You've blessed them. We continue to help them in ways that they need. Those are our two church plants. We uh, support Bay Area chaplains. Bay Area chaplains go into our jails and they minister there. We support Shelter, Inc. We've helped Contra Costa and Solanto County Food Bank. We've helped Church Without Shoes with worship in the park. We do community outreach with families at our local schools at Thanksgiving and at Christmas. We sponsor local kids' baseball teams. We support school sports teams. We've assisted Creeksiders that have a heart for projects, and they say, Pastor, what do we do? And I kind of help them, and then it's usually I'll say, do you need some financial assistance? And we do that out of our harvest offering. All of these things come out of our harvest offering. There are things that I'll do for kids in the school that have fundraisers for their classroom or their schools. We'll give a little bit of money out of that to support not only the kid, but the school. We give a veteran's gift via one of our former staff pastor's wives, Kelly Magoon. She does something for the veterans, and we help her support that. Uh, this last, uh, we, always, we help a lot of local schools along with our community, our Creekside Community uh, Partnership Club, but we also do stuff out of the uh, harvest offering. As a matter of fact, we did kind of a significant thing for Los Juntas School here at the beginning of the year, and uh, they just sent us a little thank you note by all the teachers and administration and staff. We just got this this week. These are just some of the things we love. Well, these are most of the things that we do. So when we give, it isn't about Creekside. It's about enlarging our hearts for the, for the kingdom. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That's why we do it, because there's going to come a time when there's going to be a period in history, and Jesus is going to come back. We also give, as you can see, to express our compassion. We give to express compassion to people. There's a lot of checks that I write that, you know what, and you're probably the same way, I'm not really too thrilled about. But I get pretty jacked up over the harvest offering check. You know why? It's because I have joy. I love this place. I love that we're a church that isn't just trying to keep the doors open. I love that this church has a vision to reach the lost in the world. 1 John 3, 17 and 18 says this, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him or compassion, how can you say the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with deeds or tongue but with actions and in truth. And see, that's part of what the harvest offering is about, loved ones. It's about being in truth followed by action. Proverbs 14, 21 says this, blessed is is he who is kind to the needy. Proverbs 14, 31 says, he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. It's been said well, hasn't it? You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. When you give, we often give aid out of, we we give to people 
um, that are victims of natural disasters, when there's a call that says, can churches help? We take it out of our harvest offering. When you donate blood, did you know you're helping other people that are needy? We don't do that, but I know many in here do it. You're giving to the need, and when you give to the needy, guess what? You're giving to the Lord. Proverbs 19, 17 says this, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he does. Now listen, I know this. Some of you are really cynical. Well, you know, there's a lot of people out there that probably need to work. Are we helping them? Probably. You know, we've helped some people at Christmas that, that drive up here with nicer cars than most of you have. <laughs> and, uh, and I go, are you kidding me? And, 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 and I've told the staff even, you know, over the last couple of years, I've had to get a little cynical because people, people start treating us as a welfare agency. We now have people, we're on their books, they call us. Hey, you're going to do that Christmas thing again this year? Can we be a part of that? He helped us for the last two years. And, uh, and so now we've learned, we, you know, we take names. So we're not helping the same people because it really is. We're trying to help people who have need, not people who just want to be facilitated to have a nice Christmas. So we, we, we are aware of that, just so you know. We're not just doling out and throwing out money and not being responsible with it. You need to know that. But we are committed to helping the needy because we want to give it to them as unto the Lord. And sometimes we'll miss it because like a lot of times we're, we're, we're listening to other people give us names. Sometimes it's some of you. Sometimes it's schools. But we know that God's going to bless and honor us for what we do. If we do it with integrity of heart, that's what matters. And we can't cover every instance or possibility but we're gonna give it our best. We're gonna do our best. We also wanna give because you know what? We experience God's blessing. We experience God's blessing when we give. Now listen, we shy away from that as the motivation because that's, that's the motivation that I've seen that so many of us have seen abused on TV or with other some churches, wherever. And so we don't wanna do that, but the Lord makes it very clear, loved ones, in his word that if we give, he will multiply that gift in return. Proverbs 22, 9 says this, a generous man himself will be blessed for he shares food with the poor. Dr. Carl Menninger of the uh, Mayo Clinic some years ago said this, giving is a good criterion for mental health. He said generous people, generous people are rarely mentally ill. I was gonna, I'm running out of time. I can't give you all the stories, but I have a uh, stack of them here about people who have said, Pastor, thanks for teaching about giving. You know, none of them have said things like, well, you know what, boy, you taught about it, and then I did it, and uh, whew, won the lotto. I wish I had some of those, but I don't. <laughs> but they're real. They're real stories that anybody can relate to, and, I, and I've got some pages I'm here, but I'm just gonna read the latest one that I received two weeks ago, it was just on a little slip, a little connection slip, and it says this, PT, thank you for your talks on finances. It challenged me to start giving 10% of each paycheck. The past year has not been um, easy financially. It's, not, it's, it's only getting harder for us. However, however, 
I've seen God's provision over our family and finances. And I'm convinced it's because of my faithfulness and obedience in my giving. See, you hear that? That's real stuff. You know, and there's no lotto winner in there. Matter of fact, it's getting more difficult. But they say, but I'm seeing God working. And that's how God does it. I don't know how he does it for everybody. But God blesses. I love this church, and I know a lot of you do too. It's a wonderful place. God has blessed us with an incredible spirit, a teachable people, decent facilities. And I love this. Nobody has to hound you to give. It just comes naturally. 2 Corinthians 9.11, again, it says, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So many of you are so thankful for what Jesus is doing in your life. That's why Jesus said, don't hoard up on earth, but lay up in heaven. There are people, some of you, many of us, really by the world standards, but some of us have significant resources on this earth. And hear me, there is nothing wrong with that. Some of you have got lots of possessions, lots of cash, lots of investments. Bless you. As long as those possessions and things don't have you. But how wise is it, loved ones, to be able to invest in heaven? This week, we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall. I believe it was November 11th. There was a graffiti on a piece of the wall that somebody took note of as as it was being obliterated and broke down. And it said this, many small people who in small places do many small things can alter the face of the world. And that's what we want to do. We want to do something to alter the face of our community, of a community in a third world country. It's never about equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice. For some of you, 20 bucks would be a sacrifice. For some of you, 20,000 would be, (laughs) that's a nice little write-off. And see, that's what we want our people to understand. It's not just throwing something out there, it's Lord, You've done so much for me. What can I do to reach this world? There's an interesting passage as I close on money in Luke chapter 16. It's a great story. Jesus says this, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcome into eternal dwellings. So when you die and you leave it behind, you'll get to go and be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What? What does that mean? Use my worldly wealth to gain friends so when it's gone, I'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings? There's something about Jesus, and he's very clear that that there is an eternal reward that is connected to our giving. uh, uh, A man was asked how much money his father had left him when he died, and Andrew Carnegie's son kind of shrugged his shoulders and gave a classic answer, and he said, everything. And and it's really true, isn't it, loved ones? You can't take it with you. But this is what's so interesting. Jesus says, whatever it means, you can send it ahead. And I I think, I don't know, I can't say for sure, but I heard this once, and I wonder if this verse isn't kind of communicating to us. 
That one day, you and I, we're gonna stand. We're gonna go stand before Jesus Christ. We're gonna stand before Father God. And you're gonna hear Jesus' voice. He's gonna say, Father, this is Terry. He belongs to me. He requested me to, to be his savior when he was about 17 years old. And his sins have been forgiven. He's been walking with me and he belongs to us. Admit him. And I'm gonna go, right on. But, but then there's probably, you know, maybe there's gonna be another voice that comes and it's gonna be a man with, with brown skin from Central America. And he's going, yeah, yeah, Father, I, I, I never met this man, but the money he gave and, and his church gave to support missionaries, uh, the, 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 these missionaries came to San Marcos, Nicaragua. That's where I learned the gospel because of him. He's my friend. And then someone else is going to step forward, Father, I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I was, I was introduced to Christ through participating in the children's ministry and the youth ministry of Creekside Church. It's because people gave to it. I got to go. I got to go to an aftermath program. I got to have a good meal every Wednesday night. My parents never went. My parents didn't have any introduction or orientation toward the things of God. But there were people in that church. There were youth leaders. There were staff that loved me. (laughs) He's my friend. Maybe another one will step forward and say, Lord, he, he doesn't know the kind of influence that he had on my life, but the money that he gave away, helped my single mother to stay with God and be loyal to the church. And through that, I come to know Christ indirectly because of that generous group of believers. And then, who knows, it might be three, it might be 10, it might be 20. All of a sudden, Jesus is gonna stand up probably off his great throne and he's gonna look at you and you know what he's gonna say? Well done thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Welcome into my kingdom and I want you to be a ruler over many and enter into the joy of your master's happiness. I wonder if that's how we use worldly wealth to gain friends in eternity. I don't know what else it could mean. And I'm not saying that's what's gonna happen. But I know this, Creekside Church is doing that now. Now, I hope most of you know this. I think you all know that giving money doesn't buy your way into heaven. Only Jesus can pay that insurmountable price, and he did so on the cross. Now he invites you and me to humbly come to him admitting, I have sinned, I need a Savior, and I believe Jesus died for me. And if you've never done that, I don't care how much money you give. Ain't gonna get you into heaven. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. As Ephesians 1, 7 says, that in him we have redemption. We've been bought back from the vestiges of hell through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Man, do we have a lot to be thankful for. We live, yeah. We live in these United States. And, and I think I've told you this, I think all the time, why wasn't I born in Sudan? Why wasn't I born in Bolivia? 
why wasn't I born in India? And you know what it always comes back to? I put you in the, these United States, this state of California, so that you could make a difference in the world. And if you're a Creeksider, loved ones, I say that to every one of us. God has placed you here because you've got a pastor that's called to make a difference in the world. And not really just about me, it's about you. You just happen to be in a church that says we're going to do our best. 